Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? It is good to be with you. I'm really looking forward to that. I think there's something about jumping into opportunities where we can serve with our friends, with our families, and even in a way that's just a few hours actually contribute to something really beautiful in the world. So again, as you heard, you can always find all the things at newlife.tv slash Bainbridge Island. And uh, I want to welcome you to this second Sunday of Easter. Is that okay? Uh, some of you are like, wait, what? I don't know if he got the memo. You're like, do I need another ham? What do I need to do right now? Like, uh, no, you're good. You're good. I promise. And here's why I wanted to actually mention that. One of the things that I'm so thankful for is we are part of a long winding story uh, that folks for centuries have believed that Easter is just too good for one day only. And, and some of us lean into that in other parts of our lives. I bet there's somebody here that has a birthday month. Are you with me? Who's got the birthday month? If you don't, you should give it a try, for real. Um, but it's this idea that Jesus followers for centuries have said, this thing, the resurrection of Jesus has changed everything. Everything. Death has been defeated, and what could be possible now? And so actually, for several weeks from last Sunday, there's this ongoing invitation to just kind of feast, to celebrate, to wonder, to let resurrection set in. And I wanted to mention that part real quick, because that's going to help us as we continue today. Um, we talked a little last week, resurrection takes time to set in. It takes time for us to kind of grapple with its implications. We looked at some brothers and sisters in John chapter 20. John's one of those gospels or biographies of Jesus we have in the New Testament last week. And we saw how Jesus so welcomes us to let the resurrection set in, to reframe our imagination, our minds, our bodies, like everything. And I just thought I'd throw this out as we move forward, um, there's these beautiful other like scenes in the Gospels. I really encourage you even to take a look. Like Jesus even shows up over and over again after that first Easter Sunday for weeks. Matter of fact, there's a scene that I love. Uh, it's often referred to as the scene of the road to Emmaus. It's found in Luke's Gospel. Uh, you can find it in chapter 24. But think of it this way. These friends are just spun up over all that's transpired. Jesus has died, and there's this news swirling around, and, and everyone's talking about it. And they're on this road. They're traveling. And Jesus is with them, but they don't know it. Sneaky Jesus, right? Anyway, um, he's their companion, and he is such a good companion. He leans into their questions. He gives them space and time, and it's not until they're at a meal together that they realize he's with them, and the resurrection is true. It takes time for it to set in. There's another story I love. It's all about breakfast on the beach. Who could go for that? Yes, especially today. Um, but in John chapter 21, Jesus shows up to his friends who after resurrection, they've gone back to their normal stuff. They're trying to sort out life. And they see him on the beach cooking a meal for them, a fish and bread. And in that meal, not only does he make a great breakfast, I mean, eggs benedict with a little salmon is what I imagine, but nonetheless, um, he actually does the most beautiful restorative thing. See, one of his friends when Jesus was walking through his most tragic moment, denies that he even knows Jesus. And Jesus undoes that denial, restores him. It's beautiful. There's another scene that we often refer to, if you've been around church, called the Great Commission, where Jesus invites his friends to let resurrection set in again. And he wants to send them out, and he wants to send us out. The series we're starting today is going to be all about that, going out as resurrectionists, as people on the mission, and what I love, though, if you've ever read the text, and I would, again, say maybe scribble this down and check it out, Matthew chapter 28, but I think it's important to begin in verse 16. Some people start a little later. Here's why. Because do you know who Jesus invites to let resurrection set in? The text literally says the folks who were there were both worshipers. They were the ones who were like, yes, early adopters, I'm in. And then there were others who were doubters. 
but they all got included on being sent out by Jesus to let resurrection sit in their lives and to be people of the resurrection in the everyday world. And so welcome to the second Sunday of Easter. Welcome to the ongoing invitation of Jesus to let resurrection reframe everything for us. And again, that sets up a really beautiful series that we're going to be walking into as we're people becoming the church. And I love that second word, becoming. We're going to go on a becoming journey over the next seven weeks. We're starting this series called Made for More. Because don't you think that we are made for more than just accumulating more things, more titles, more fill-in-the-blank whatever? I think we are. We're made for more than that. Matter of fact, Every single human, you, me, everyone, everywhere, longs to be a part of something that is beyond us, that's transcendent, that lasts. Something that, while that's true, is also right here, right now, brings a quality to our life. I was thinking about that and couldn't help but think of the words of Brene Brown, this great researcher who's really done a lot of work in this space. And she gets at it. She says, belonging, which is what we long for, it's this innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. And I love this. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic and perfect selves to the world. She's saying we only live into this thing of reality that we're made for, that we long for, this more that we want, when we kind of put ourselves out there. And I would even say when we let resurrection set in as we go. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. I think everything around us says that's our longing. There's a song I've been kind of having on repeat play, and there's a line in it that says, I want to know the measure from here to forever. There's this longing to be a part of something beyond and to discover it. And so what we're going to do is we walk into this Made for More series, and don't you love my horrible artwork? We'll get to that in a moment. Um, We are going to be looking at three things in particular And I'm going to start with a question, but they get at these things of identity, calling, and assignment. And I want to take just a moment and kind of put those on the ground because I think they're going to be really helpful for us, not only today, but in the series and for the rest of our lives. This is what we're invited into. The first question that this series is going to help us, I think, live into over and over again is, who am I? It's a question of identity. Like, who am I really? I was thinking about the great author Ralph Ellison in his classic book, The Invisible Man. He says, when I discover who I am, I will be free. And I think he's spot on. And it takes me also to something that we see in Jesus' life that's actually ours through Jesus. There's this beautiful scene in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 3. Jesus is baptized. He identifies with us in every way. When he comes out of the water, listen to what the voice of the creator God says, the father of us all. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I want to stick on that for a moment. Because did you know today that what's true for Jesus is true for you? Did you know that what Jesus experiences with God is what you get with God. You're not like just over here on the side. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we literally hear the Father saying, oh, you are my dearly loved child, and you bring me great joy. That's who we are. And I was thinking about that, and I couldn't help but think of Henry Nouwen's great book, Life of the Beloved. And I hope you'll hear this today as you consider who you are your identity. We are the beloved playing off of that scene with Jesus. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That is the truth of our lives. And that's the truth I want you to claim for yourself. And that's the truth spoken by the voice who says you are beloved. 
our identity. This series is going to help us lean into that over and over again. It's also going to get at this question, what am I here for? Like this morning, you're here for all kinds of good, so a little beyond this moment. But uh, like, what am I here for in this life? Like, what am I to give myself to? We typically call that calling or vocation. And if you've ever heard the word vocation, it's just a Latin term that means to call. Uh, This invitation to become our full selves, kind of back to Brene Brown's thing, to put our full selves out into the world, our calling. And I can't say this enough, as we go through this series, as we do anything we ever do when we gather or when we're on the mission through the week, please hear this. Your first calling, your first vocation is what we just talked about a moment ago, is actually to be a daughter and son of God. That is your first calling. But out of that, we get to put our full selves on the ground. We get to put our full selves into the world. I like how Frederick Buechner says it. He says, calling, it's the place God calls you to. It's the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And this series, I think, is going to get at some action about that. How do I flesh that out over time? And I wanted to just pause on that. This, I think, is one of the biggest things we can ever discover in our life is a calling that comes out of our identity. And I wanted to mention two resources for you um, that I found helpful, and, and I think they could be for you. So Parker Palmer has a really classic book called Let Your Life Speak. And I would highly, if, if that's something you've been thinking about, well, what am I here for? Like, how do I spend my life? I can't uh, recommend it enough. The other is by a friend of mine named Deb Lloyd, who wrote Your Vocational Credo, that I found really helpful. And I would even say, on that connect card we gave, if you're like, oh, I want to read that with somebody and process it, like, write it down. If we have enough, we'll, like, have a party and, like, talk about it. And some of you are like, you can have a book party? Like, no joke. It's, like, really fun. Okay, anyway, uh, but those are two great resources. Um, and I think this is a question that this series is going to help us put on the ground. And it is one of the maybe most clarifying things we can do is to sort this out in our lives. And then I think that brings us to the next one. So with my identity and my calling kind of becoming clear, what can I give myself to in this moment? What should I? What's my assignment? What's Jesus inviting me into? How would he want me to practice resurrection? Notice that the doing comes out of the being. Did everyone catch that? We're human beings first. Our human doing, if you will, flows out of it. But then we answer that question. What's my assignment here and now? What is Jesus inviting me into? Because he's inviting us to go on the mission to help heal the world. How might that actually look in my life? And I can't tell you how much I think these three are important to really uh, hone in on and have clarity on. Because I don't know if you're like me. There have been seasons in my life where I confused my assignment, what I was doing in a particular season of life, with my identity and calling. And then when that thing was different, changed, gone, I was upside down. And I felt like my life was falling apart. But there's something in this that we're invited into that's more whole, that's life-giving, that I think, again, lets us sort out resurrection for our lives. And so I want to invite you into it. And it's a series of discovery and rediscovery, thus my art. Thank you for putting up with it for a moment. So I had two friends that helped me with this, and I wanted to say this. Maybe you're here and you're like, Justin, I appreciate the nature of these questions. They're foundational. Identity, calling, assignment. But I've done that. Like, you might even be tempted to think, yeah, well, could I just gently maybe invite you to consider it from a different angle? Um, so I have two friends that have helped me with this. So my attempt at the uh, mountain scene, did everyone actually see that that was supposed to be mountains? And like, oh, right on. Like, I was a little scared. Like, if you're going to start seeing like shapes of animals and stuff in the clouds with it, I didn't know. But um, 
So I had this friend named Bill that said, Justin, our life with God is, is this terrain of freedom. And he said, envision what that would look like for you. I love getting out into the mountains, a lake, hiking up high, taking it all in. And that's kind of how I envision it. Our life with God is meant to be this terrain of freedom. You can come up with your own picture, and I bet your artwork will be way better. But this terrain of freedom we're invited into, we're invited into the beauty of it. That's what these three things are about. We're invited into the flourishing of it. And then I have this other friend named Anne, and she said, in our life with God, it's not like, yeah, I did those things once. Our life with God is like going to beautiful terrain where we hit the trail, and every time we're on the trail, we see something new. Like, it's okay to go to a destination that's beautiful and do the, like, speed hike, snap a few pictures, and post it on Insta. That's totally okay. But isn't there something else when we go to those places over and over again, and we get to kind of absorb the beauty all the goodness of it. And like, maybe this time I started the hike over here and I popped over here, but maybe next time I'm gonna go around this side and take a look and see a different perspective or over here, or maybe I'm gonna just jump right in the middle of the lake and see what that's like. Like the point is we're invited in this series not to just be like, yeah, I did those three things once, but to revisit the terrain of freedom we're being invited into over and over again. My friend Ann would say it's like circling it or the image I think is let's hike the trail more than once. And I hope that's what this experience is like for you, that God is inviting us into resurrection life, the terrain of freedom, and that's what this series is all about. We are made for more. We are made for resurrection. And so I was thinking about that, and before we jump into a scripture, make a few observations, and then lean into our first practice, and I will be mindful of our time today, I couldn't help but think of some of the ways that we're celebrating and seeing that already among us. Matter of fact, this week, I had the opportunity Uh, on Tuesday to witness the Bell family uh, welcoming a new member into their home as Gregory became a Bell. It was something beautiful for me to be a part of. And as I'm talking about all this, identity and calling and assignment, I couldn't help but think of you guys. Like you're saying, Jesus, we think this is how we're going to play out the resurrection in real time with our home, with our lives, with our resources. You took in a child and we're with you in that. As, a, as another person who uh, has taken in a child, there's nothing, I think, there's nothing better than having a community that surrounds us in it. But as I witnessed this this week, I was like, this is what we're talking about. Living into something beautiful. Living into something good. Something that feels like resurrection. Where a child who didn't have a home has a home. It's good. I also, though, got to hear about it recently. We had a bunch of students. Check this out. They traded in their spring break to go to L.A. and serve with a beautiful organization and to, to, like, put themselves on the ground, like, making a difference in the world, and then sorting out, Jesus, how would you want me to do that where I live? And, Grant, I think you and Annalise are going to tell us a story about that. I'd love to invite you up and talk to us about it because we're seeing this stuff in real time. So, hey, would you share the love for Annalise and the rest of our students who went up? Yeah, um, it was a super cool trip. The, we went to LA, partnered with the Dream Center, which if you don't know what the Dream Center is, it's like a resource center helping with at-risk families and uh, become a, uh, it's a recovery program. They have 500 families living actually in the Dream Center. So it, uh, kind of history is the Dream Center, they bought this building that used to be this uh, city sold them. It was this old uh, hospital. And now they're like, hey, can you, can you use it for good in our city? And what we're seeing is, and Annalise will share too, is like the amount of work and the amount of um, impact they have already 
I think it's been 25 years in LA. It's been incredible. And so, Annalise, I want to like give us a picture. We we did this on Tuesday, talking to others, our students, of what does it look like. Here's your trip, and then how do we take this here? But first, like give us like what was your favorite part of the trip to LA? Talk to us about that. Okay, so my favorite part was um, when we went on Skid Row, which is a place in LA where there um, are a lot of homeless, and they're kind of um, all living on these streets. And my favorite part was we got to go and hand out food to them, but also as we were talking to them, I feel like I got to hear a lot of personal stories, and um, kind of as they shared their story, I got to share mine as well, and that felt really cool. It felt like I kind of made these real connections with the people there that we were serving. Yeah. What we see, you know, what we, you agree too, is like what we see when we're serving others is those people living on the streets or in need of like their, their, the need is needing food. We're no different than them. And so they have a story, we have a story, and we can build throughout that relationship. Honestly, like where did we, where did you see Jesus that week in LA? Where do you see Jesus at work? Um, I think a lot on Skid Row with, um, I think through prayer is where I saw Jesus. And we got to pray over um, some homeless on Skid Row, as well as we did um, home visits in the projects. And that felt like I really saw how Jesus was working through their lives. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we were in Skid Row, which is, if you don't know, it's like, you know, a bunch of, it's basically the homeless community living in one compact area. So it's seven different blocks. We went into project areas, government housing, really rough neighborhoods. We did food trucks, giving out food, picked up trash all you know in the week. You're like, these don't think don't sound like amazing things, fun things. The amount of joy you get to experience, I mean, it's incredible. But you know, we're, you said talk about you. Hey, you're having relationships with people. You're building conversations. Is there a story or a person of a person in that you built relationship with that really impacted you? Um, yeah, I think where I saw the most impact was I met this family um, in the projects who had been living at the Dream Center for three and a half years as um, one of the families who came in homeless and in need of a place to stay. And they just recently were able to get their own apartment and can now provide for their own needs as a family. And I think this really helped me to see like the impact of the small things we were doing because sometimes it's hard in the moment to tell um, how our um, outreach is helping people, but it really helped me to see like it was making significant impacts on people's lives. That's so good. And I would, all week they were telling us, don't look at what we do, look at why we do it. Because you don't, often they said, you're not going to take the what with you back home. You're going to take the why. And the why is, what is the need in your community? So the why, you know, the what there, the need in their community was tangible. It was food, you know, we walked around with Girl Scout cookies in, the, in a sparkling water. And it was our conversation starter. But the, the real need was Jesus transforming hearts. And um, through our relationship, even in the beginning, you know, even that one conversation changing trajectory. And I asked Annalise, like, hey, we go on this trip. How can we be missionaries? You know, we, we learn what it means to be a missionary in L.A. How can we come back and be missionaries here on Bainbridge, in Paulsboat, in Kitsap? 
like talk to us like what 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 is that need here okay so i think for me the need i see is kind of the mental health crisis and with teenagers specifically and i think to meet this need we kind of need to start walking alongside like our peers our friends and other people in our community um, as they're struggling with this. And I think ultimately we can try to um, help give them a hope um, mm. for like um, a better future and just kind of building these connections and relationships with them that we continue to support them. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the needs. That's the needs on the island is, you know, mental health crisis is real. Anxiety and depression is real here. And... It's real in a lot of places, but we see faces and we have relationships that, you know, definitely with us, with teenagers, like, it, it's, it's overwhelming. And so how, being an ear, listening, hearing people's stories, connecting, that's the need. And so, it, you know, uh, this next year, let's find ways of connecting with students, getting to know them and, like, what Jesus is trying to do. And so that's kind of the heart, and, you know, we're made for more, and that's part, part of it is, Hey, what does it look like to meet a need here on the island? So, Justin, all yours. Hey, thank you. Thank you. You heard those themes of uh, just being aware and noticing, and then particularly the power of even those connections, knowing another story, sharing our story, the witness of life. This is literally everything we're talking about identity and calling and assignment because our identity is rooted in love and can you imagine what happens when people who are loved now spend their lives in the world loved people can't help but love and loved people are with others and I so love that snippet of like I'm on a discovery journey I'm wanting to put my life on the mission in the everyday this is exactly what we're talking about so thank you again for sharing that and so today, what I'm advised to do is the first practice of this entire way that we're going to explore for seven weeks is this crystal clear. It's an invitation to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And I think we even heard that quality. We're noticing, we're paying attention, and now let's follow and act. And so what I'd like to do, would you read this text with me? Um, and then I want to share a few observations and then send us out with something that I think can be really formative for us as we lean into this together. It's going to be on the screen, but would you lend your voice and read out loud? You good with that? Oh, yeah, I knew it. All right, here we go. So the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. 
Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's a really great moment for Jesus, right? (laughs) Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. A couple of observations in this text that I think are really helpful as we're going to live into all this. The first is listening is the foundational way for a flourishing life. Did you notice John's disciples hear something and follow? Jesus asked a question and then he listens. The disciples listen to Jesus' invitation and the text says they spend the night with him. This listening posture is everything if we're going to go on this path towards becoming people of the resurrection. I was thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer who says we are silent, practicing listening. We're silent at the beginning of the day because God should have the first word. We're silent before going to sleep because the last word belongs to God. And he says this, silence or listening will have its effect on the whole day. What would it look like for us to enter into a season of listening? If you're anything like me, noise can fill so much space. Noise that I choose, noise from within, but we're invited to practice the way of Jesus and part of it is by taking up the way of listening. Think of the impact listening can make on us and the people we're with. I was thinking about that and couldn't help but remember this line that I love, love, love by Alice Freiling, who says, intense listening is indistinguishable from love, and love heals. Listening is foundational to the flourishing life. The second thing I think we see is this. What do you want? That question, it is a foundational question for disciples of Jesus to consider and process with Jesus. Why would I say it's foundational? Well, this story is about Jesus calling the first disciples. And this is the first question Jesus ever asked to disciples. Its first place gives it a sense of priority, a sense of prominence. And Jesus keeps sharing the same question in different ways throughout the Gospels. This is everything. Matter of fact, if you're akin or you know, kind of familiar with the biblical story, it kind of reminds us of something we hear early in the Bible story. Matter of fact, the first question God asks, where are you? What do you want? Jesus seems to be wanting to meet that deep desire. And I just want to say this for all of us. Did you notice desire by Jesus is welcomed, not avoided, not maligned? Welcomed. And I love how the disciples respond to the, what do you want? Well, where are you staying? There's a part you're like, were they just nervous? And like, we don't know what to do now. You turned around and noticed us, so where are you staying? Maybe, but I think there's a clue. Uh, They are from a culture, first century rabbi disciple context, where if you were going to be a disciple, you would do everything you could to immerse yourself into the rabbi's life. And so the what do you, where are you staying is a little bit of a hint that what they wanted was to be with him. They wanted to discover life with him. And I think that is what we all long for, whether we know it or not. The 
you know, fifth century philosopher, bishop from North Africa, Augustine or Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, speaking to God, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We long for God in every part of our lives. He goes on later to talk about in some of his writings, our entire life is nothing but a gymnasium of desire. We're working this stuff out. And notice Jesus says, let's work it out together. And that leads to the third observation. Jesus extends an open invitation to everyone everywhere, an invitation to discover our deepest desire with him, an invitation found in these words, come and see. And he's not in a hurry. He's not anxious. It's the journey of our lives to lean into identity, calling, and assignment, the flourishing life, the way of resurrection. Jesus is here to unpack it with us. And just real quick, notice how it worked out in the text. Andrew, who was there that first night, the sleepover with Jesus, he goes and gets his brother, Simon Peter. Then next, the story moves on, and then Philip, who's from Andrew and Peter's hometown, proximity, he gets in on it too. And he goes and gets Nathaniel. This is how this thing works out. When we lean into this made-for-more life that Jesus is inviting into, one thing we say regularly, have a great week on the mission, it can't help but happen. We just keep bringing people into what Jesus is helping us discover in our identity and our calling in this good news life we get to live. And I love that. And notice Jesus invites us all, even people like Nathaniel. Like how many of you would be like, Jesus is calling, Jesus, can anything be good coming out of him? Like that's a pretty radical statement to say back. But notice Jesus is like, oh, I'm with you. Let's figure this out together. He draws him in, all of us, wherever we are in our journey with God. This is what we're invited into. So here's the practice I want to kind of put on the radar to get us started. Because in this follow Jesus wherever he leads life, notice the two questions. That happens when we can answer this question, what is Jesus saying to you? And then we can answer this one too. And what are you going to do about it? Now, if you're like me, I remember starting to follow Jesus and people would talk about hearing God. And I'm like, how do you guys do that? I, I, I think I'm listening. I don't hear anything. Do you guys hear anything? So how do you do that? And, and I, I really struggle with that for a while. So I just want to put this on the ground. If you've ever wondered, like, well, how would I hear God? I want to make it super easy because God makes it super easy. So we have these gospels, these biographies of Jesus, where the most visible, clear-cut image of who God is is on full display. The Bible says that. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, fully. And in the Gospels, he speaks. So what if we just start there? We just did it now. But what about every day? What if there was a practice where I could lean into the Gospels and meet Jesus there? Where I could hear him and learn his voice. You know what it's like to learn someone's voice, right? It takes a minute. My wife, Hannah, though, we have known each other so long now, if we're in a big old crowd and she starts to laugh, I know her laugh. I know she's there, and I love it. I can even hear my kids in a crowd, like their tone of voice, like when something's going on. I just have learned it. But it took a minute. And learning to hear God's voice takes a minute. But God doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us, literally, his voice. In Jesus, the Gospels. So as we wrap up our time today... I'd love to offer you this practice. It's one that's been really helpful for me in leaning into this way of listening and responding to Jesus and following him wherever he leads. 
It's one that Jesus' followers throughout the centuries have leaned into, often referred to as Lectio Divina. And while that may be a bit of a unique term, it's just two Latin words that mean sacred reading. Latin because it's been around that long. So here's how the practice goes. First, we take a text, I would suggest a gospel text, even the one we read today. John chapter 1, verses 36 through 39. The first time we read the text slowly, we're not in a hurry. We're paying attention. We're noticing. Is there a word, a phrase, an idea, something from the scene that we're immersing ourselves into? Is there something there that's catching our attention? We let that thing bubble to the surface, and then we simply pause and sit with it. I would suggest at least one minute, maybe two. After noticing and sitting with that, read the text again, the same text. And this time, as we read the passage, we let that thing that came to the surface, we let it just dwell with us throughout our reading, throughout our listening, throughout our engagement. And what we do during that time is we begin to notice, are there thoughts that come to mind as we meditate on that particular thing that came to the surface? Is there a feeling that emerges? Is there something in that word, phrase, or idea that bubbled up that has something to do with our current reality? Is there something that God might be inviting us into through that particular thing? We pay attention. We don't have to force it. We don't have to make it happen. Again, we're just noticing. We're being present to what's going on. I would suggest, again, after the second reading, like the first, take at least one minute of silence, maybe two, maybe three. Whenever you're ready, then, read the text one more time, again, slowly and not in a hurry. This time, as we read the passage, we begin to talk to God about what we're noticing, what's come up, and what we sense he might be inviting us into. And again, even in that conversation known as prayer that we have with God after this reading, we really are leaning towards action. If there's something we feel prompted to do, we do it. If there's something we feel prompted to pay attention to, we do it. Again, we're just making space and we're letting our time in the text lead us into that space of hearing the voice of God, Jesus speaking directly to us, and then we're going to do something with it. We're going to act on it. We're living into this life we're made for, this life of made for more, this life of practicing resurrection, both for our sakes and the sakes of the folks we love, the sakes of the folks Jesus has put us among. We spend our lives on the mission this way, by following Jesus wherever he leads, as we listen and we act. So this week, let's lean into this practice together. Let's see what happens. Let's see where Jesus takes us. And let's see how, as our own identity comes more into view, our own calling and our particular assignment in this moment become more crisp and clear. Let's see how we get to join Jesus in helping to heal the world.